Hi everyone, this is Vincent, your host for this episode. In this episode, we'll be talking about the relationship between religions and mindfulness. If you're new here, this is Mindful Chatter presented to you by Steph, Kathleen, and I. Here in this podcast, we chat about everything related to mindfulness, both as a personal practice and as a way to create social impact. We explore ways to improve our self-awareness and social awareness so that we can do what is best for ourselves and our society. And if you like this podcast, the best way to support us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. You can also send this episode to a friend or to share it on social media by tagging us at MindfulChatterHK on Instagram or on our Facebook page, Mindful Chatter. Enjoy the show! Hello everyone. Today, I'm very honored to have Bosco, who's a secondary school friend of mine, to be here with us for this podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about the relationship between philosophy, mindfulness, and more importantly, to ourselves. First of all, welcome Bosco. Thank you, Vincent. So in fact, I've already known Bosco for more than 10 years, and he has always been that kind of person who loves so much to talk about philosophy, politics, the higher goal of ourselves, and later on, he actually studied about mindfulness and religion in his university studies. So it is actually my greatest honor to have him today here to share more about how he's been working on his philosophy and his insight about mindfulness and the relationship between philosophy and mindfulness. So Bosco, can you please perhaps introduce a little bit about yourself to our audience so that our audience can know a little bit more about you in person? Right. So first of all, thank you, Vincent, and Mindfulness Chatter for having me here today. It's definitely my honor to be here to share about you know, some of my little thoughts on religion and politics. And allow me to introduce myself for a bit. I did my bachelor's degree in religious studies, which is a study of religion. And just a disclaimer, it's not theology because, you know, sometimes people might confuse that with theology. The study of religion is about objectively understanding religious phenomena. So yeah, it's a different thing from theology. And currently I'm doing my uh, master's degree in international relations uh, in the UK. And some of my major academic interests involves democratization and interstate conflicts of cultural and religious problems and also very hot topic of internet surveillance. So I guess, you know, yeah, just like what Vincent has said, my intellectual and academic interest in religion starts from a very young age because my family comes from a Catholic background and I decided to do my degree in religion because I was already very interested in history, philosophy and these kind of cultural stuff. So it was a very interesting and a very thoughtful process for me. I guess that's yet another perfect example of whenever you're doing whatever you love, you're going to do it so well. So it is all about your personal purpose. So think about the why first and then think about what you're going to do. But that is actually not the main topic of what we're going to talk about today. Let's talk about the philosophical fundamentals of mindfulness. So mindfulness originated from Buddhism. This is actually not the most accurate statement, but Buddhism does play a very, very important role in the origination of mindfulness. So can you perhaps please introduce to us a little bit more about the Buddhist origin of mindfulness and some of the backgrounds of mindfulness, both in Buddhist term and in a less secular, in a more common layman or in Chinese yapsai term to us? Right. So just as you say, 
mindfulness has a very kind of, you know, a true impression to general public in the current decade. And it becomes a kind of like a lifestyle, like a kind of a movement, spiritual movement in our daily lives. And yeah, definitely it's an observable phenomenon. And we can see from the history of mindfulness, it basically came into the sphere of our understanding in about 1960s. Because at that time, there were lots of new religions coming up and new spiritual ideas. And basically, people are looking for a solution to inner peace and also peace in political life. Because at that time, in 1960s, we had the Cold War in the happening and we had the Vietnamese War. The Vietnam War basically destroyed Vietnam catastrophically. And, you know, there are people in the West, particularly in America, who are very concerned about such unrighteousness of having a war in other countries. So they are looking for new solutions to these kind of conflicts in between and also with other countries. So mindfulness at that time come into existence because some very prominent scholars and religious practices came to America. Particularly, I think Vincent would be very familiar with this figure too, which is Thich Nhat Hanh. In Chinese, is Sik Yahang, and he is a very prominent figure in current Buddhism. I'd say he basically founded the organization of Plum Village, and he tried to promote mindfulness as the core philosophy to the entire teaching. In the setting of Buddhism, mindfulness actually means the correct mindfulness towards life. It's the more comprehensive phrase to understand the background of mindfulness. And in Buddhism, we have Ba Zeng Do, which is the eightfold path to a noble life. And includes the right view, the right speech, and right conduct, etc., etc. What Thich Nhat Hanh saw most importantly was the mindfulness life, how to lead a spiritual life to what best form of ourselves. It comes into the essence of mindfulness. So I'd say there are lots of backgrounds here we can see. It focuses on not only to get into the material life of people, but also the spiritual life of people in a more general view. I think it is quite interesting that in the past, mindfulness and the practice of meditation perhaps is very, very secular. But then with the foundation of the Plum Village philosophy, which perhaps possibly we can share more about later, we now observe a much more common widespread of mindfulness in the so-called layman world, in the world that we're living in. For example, a lawyer can practice mindfulness now. A banker can practice mindfulness. Anyone can practice mindfulness. We even take the hunt, introduce a walking meditation, which can be done by anyone at any time. Can you see the relationship between such a secular practice of mindfulness and a more common practice of mindfulness? And do you see any controversy in between? When we get deeper into the philosophy of Plum Village and Thich Nhat Hanh's mindfulness, we can see a very distinctive element between secular Buddhism and traditional religious Buddhism. It's a huge difference here because being a practitioner of mindfulness under the umbrella of Plum Village, you do not have to be a monk. You actually do not have to get your hair shaved and do all that kind of ritual stuff in traditional Buddhism. In traditional Buddhism, particularly from that stream that Thich Nhat Hanh comes from, it's actually from the Zen Buddhism. And Zen Buddhism actually comes from a more Chinese setting, as in Zhong Guoxim Zhong. And it went to Vietnam to become a Vietnamese Zen Buddhism. 
there are lots of similarities between Chinese and Vietnamese Buddhism, but then Thich Nhat Hanh had simplified a lot of philosophies and simplified a lot of practices in order to get it to be more popularized and friendlier to the general public. Actually, Thich Nhat Hanh is a very clever person, very smart to simplify these kind of stuff and get more people to be involved in the philosophy and practices of Buddhism, and particularly in the West also, because, you know, uh, the West did not have the same language as us. You know, a lot of Buddhism texts and Buddhism traditions comes from language, comes from verbal communication or even in scriptural communication. It's very difficult to translate all these kind of literatures and then to get it explained to Westerners. It's simply too complicated and complex. He chose a more wise way to simplify it into everyday practices, into everyday philosophies with very simple slogans, very simple ideas. It's actually very, very clever practice to get more people involved. And talking about the philosophy of Plum Village, we can also see that Vincent, I know you have been in Plum Village for multiple times. You know that there is major philosophy of getting involved in the present and also getting involved with a compassionate life and also interbeing as the ultimate wisdom for life. Interbeing means that it's a word basically created by Thich Nhat Hanh. It means that everyone or everything in the world basically have the essence of interbeing because we do not actually have a permanent or separate self. By interbeing, we are always changing in the motion of change, in the motion of material or spiritual or any sorts of changes. There is a very, very nice metaphor. It's the metaphor of an empty cup. He tries to metaphorize ourselves as an empty cup. An empty cup exists in its own way. Its emptiness doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that it's non-existent. But instead, for emptiness, it means that we are allowing things to flow by us. We are allowing you know, water to flow by us as in a cup. In ourselves, we allow different things. We allow ourselves to deteriorate, to live and die. And we have to accept this philosophy. I think it's a very brilliant idea. What's your thought here, Vincent, as you have been practicing this one as well? I think it just hits me immediately because, as you may know, I don't have the perhaps the strongest mental well-being here. So I think the biggest insight I have about my perhaps a little bit anxious mindset is that I just have to deal with it. I just need to accept it. I don't need to judge it. It is like an empty cup. If it water pours in, it pours in. When anxiety and anxious thoughts just comes in, it just comes in. The anxious thoughts becomes an enemy to us only because we empower them. Allow me to quote Churchill. So the biggest fear is fear itself. The biggest anxiety is anxiety itself. So I think that is what I've learned most about this Plum Village fundamental. Yeah, I think it is a very, very insightful philosophy. The question here for you, Bosco, now is how can we practice such a great and perhaps a little bit complex philosophy in our daily lives? Perhaps you can share more about the notion engaged Buddhism and some of the Plum Village practices that they've been working on in promoting Buddhism in the daily lives. When we talk about the practices of Plum Village philosophy or mindfulness philosophy in terms of Thich Nhat Hanh's interpretation, there is a very wide scope of practices. The most prominent practice would be the Vipas Sana, which is Gunziu in Chinese. It's a body scan of yourself. 
inspection of yourself and by scanning the reaction of your body and your breath. This is a practice with long tradition, starting from Zen Buddhism and even back to <laughs> traditions of Hinduism. It's like 3,000, 4,000 years ago. We are passed with this knowledge of Gunzil Visayana. Mindfulness also encourages us to do it in a daily basis. Not that we do it only when anxiety or fear or stress comes to us, but we have to do it in a more diligent manner. Because whenever we do it with dedication, we might see level up in unexpected ways. In a more secular example, runners might say that they would find increase in their senses, find increase in their different dedications while running. And after running, they also have more realizations to life. I think it's a very similar thing to meditations as well. The more diligent you are, the more you get. And also for Plum Village, there are two types of members in general. There are the monks who really practice Vietnamese Buddhism, but there are also secular members like you and me who just visit regularly and practice different kinds of Buddhist morals, such as do not take life, uh, do not take what is not given, and these kind of stuff. Thich has been trying to be more like an engaged Buddhism. In a more philosophical way, we can see there are two streams of Buddhism. There is the Mahayana Buddhism and also the Theravada Buddhism. The Mahayana, which is Daising Fatgao, it's a more compassionate Buddhism. It involves everyone. It wants to save everyone. And the most prominent figure might be Gunyamposa, the Bodhisattva, because he or she tries to save everyone. And it's more popular in Tibet, in China, in Vietnam, and Japan. But for Theravada, it's more popular in Thailand, in Myanmar, these Southeast Asian parts of the world. For Theravada, it's not that they are you know, selfish, they are definitely not. They also encourage people to join them, but they are less advocating on compassionate behaviors and these kind of stuff. Back to Plum Village and mindfulness, we can see that it's a more engaged version of Buddhism than that in, in, in Theravada Buddhism. Thich Nhat Hanh's Buddhism has encouraged other Buddhisms as well, like in Taiwan, Yangan Fat Gao, it's humane Buddhism in English, which inspired a lot of very famous monks as well. And you can see Taiwan today is a very Buddhist country and everyone talks about Buddhism and you have the pictures about lotuses and praising Buddha and all that stuff. It all came from this movement of mindfulness starting from 1960s. So yeah, we see a whole picture of background of mindfulness here. I think the biggest takeaway that I've learned from this whole movement, starting from the 1960s, that impact is often not measured in monetary terms. So Tignahan might not be the richest person in terms of money in the world, but he's definitely one of the richest persons in terms of non-spiritual enrichment and the fulfillment of life. So I think definitely, definitely, we all can learn from this Whenever we have a mission and purpose, then just go for it. Whenever we don't do that just for money, the return, the impact is often bigger than we expect originally. We have had a great discussions on the fundamentals of mindfulness in a philosophical way. And also we touch upon the moral controversy of secular mindfulness. In the next session, we're going to talk more about the relations between politics and mindfulness and the practice of mindfulness and what would be the framework or the solution ahead in light of the current political situations in the world. Basically, we're in a very messy world right now. And also in the next episode, I'll do a quick but fun rapid fire questions with Bosco. 
for those of you who want to know more about Bosco in person, please stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the end. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe for more. If you could leave us a rating and review, that could really help us reach more people who may benefit from this podcast. If you have any questions or feedback, please do drop us a line on Instagram at MindfulChatterHK or our Facebook page, MindfulChatter. You can also email us at MindfulChatterHK at gmail.com. We look forward to having you back on our next Mindful Chat.